Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. As Lee just mentioned, I'm Sam. Uh, It's been awesome over the last few months to be uh, just involved in the Crossridge community a little bit. Um, I just want to say, man, thank you to all of you guys and everyone who's been part of Crossridge. Man, my wife and I moved over here in January, right before everything hit with COVID. Uh, We moved here from Australia. Uh, My wife was new to the country. It was all crazy. Our wedding plans got all blown up and messed up. And right off the bat, I had been to Crossridge like, I think, three or four times. And and everyone from this church just jumped in and came and helped. And they made a wedding uh, happen for us. It was amazing. Tim and Beth and Pat sang. Lee actually married uh, my wife and I. He had met me probably like five or six times at that point. Um, and they were all part of it, and it was amazing. They just saw our need, and they came and loved us and gathered and rallied around us uh, and helped, and just the love and support uh, that my wife and I have received from you guys as a church has just been uh, incredible. Uh, so thank you, and it's been just an amazing joy and a privilege to be part of Crossridge so far, um, and it's just awesome. I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Uh, we're going to look to God's Word this morning. Open up your Bibles to First John uh, chapter 4. That's 1 John 4, 7 to 12. That's going to be our scripture. Just by way of a quick recap, uh, we are in the midst of our Advent series, uh, and we've called it A Better Christmas. And week one, Lee walked us through uh, a better hope. We looked at what a better hope in Christ looks like, and we learned that hope uh, for a divided world, hope for sinful humanity, and for suffering and weary people uh, is not in the economy. It's not in possessions or aspirations or success or politics or any of these other things, hope for a divided world and for suffering and weary people is in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ, a person who uh, came and defeated death and defeated sin and who will one day come and renew all of creation. That's where our hope is. And then week two, uh, Lee walked us through a perfect peace. And we talked about how perfect peace, a better peace, Uh, is found outside of our circumstances and in something bigger than ourselves, peace through forgiveness of our sins. And Lee had this amazing line that just stuck with me. He said, we cannot know the peace of God without knowing the God of peace. And that was really what we took away from that was that we need to know the God of peace through Jesus Christ to have real inner peace and relational peace with others. That comes from peace on high uh, with God the Father through Jesus and how Jesus offers us this peace that passes all understanding, that will guard our heart and our mind. And that's just incredible. What a gift. And, and I just invite you to know that peace. Do you know the God of peace? And today we're looking at uh, a better love. Love is our topic for the day. And uh, I don't even think I need to say that our culture is absolutely obsessed with love, right? We're obsessed with the topic of love, there has not been a topic that has had more prose or poetry or music or art or film or TV or anything else made about it. Man, we are obsessed with experiencing and trying to capture and trying to express love. Man, that's why we eat up the TV shows that get put out there, the hospital dramas, the sitcoms, the rom-coms, any other kind of comms that we love. That's why every incredible great musician from the dawn of time has written about love. Beethoven, Bach, Bieber, all the greats, they write about love. We want to capture this thing that is love and the pursuit of love to love and to be loved. Man, it dominates so much of what we do and so much of what we think about. It's so clear that we have this deep pining, this longing in our heart and in our soul to love and to be loved. And I actually don't think that that is an accident. 
I think that that deep pining in our heart for love is actually a reflection of the way that God has created us in his image. God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit in the Trinity. Perfect love, perfect communion and relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. God is in his nature love. That's what we're going to read in the words of John in our passage today. God is love. That's who he is. It's his nature And in his love, he created us as beings, as objects of his love to pour out his love onto us. And Genesis uh, 1.26 tells us that God made us in his image, in his likeness. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So if God is in his nature love, we are made in his image. We are beings that are made to love. If we're in his image, we have this deep pining in our soul to love and to be loved. God says, love him and love others. That's what we're made to do, to walk in perfect relationship with God and in relationship with others as a result of that. So we are made to love and to be loved. Love is central to who we are, but the problem is our concept of love, what we think of it, our perspective of it, has been so marred by sin. When humanity fell into sin, our hearts turned from loving God and loving other from walking in the garden in communion with God and with other to uh, being turned in on ourselves. We, we turn prideful. And now our concept of love is so just marred and broken and confused by sin. And so now we try to run around and figure out love, how to love and be loved without looking to God first, without looking to the God of love. But God's invitation to us, his invitation through the gift of his son, the gift of Christmas through Jesus is to know his better love, to know his perfect love. That's the invitation this morning. And I just want to highlight God's love as being transformative, as being active, as being self-giving and complete. That's what we're going to see in our passage today. So let's turn to God's word, 1 John 4, 7 to 12. This is what it says. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The first thing I want to point out from our passage is that the love of God is transformative. God's love is transformative. It has the power and the ability to change us from the inside out, to change us forever. And John, right off the bat in verse 7 and 8, he points out that loving people is central. It's so central. It's core to the life of faith. So much so that he says, if we love, we are born of God. And if we don't love, we don't know God and we're not born of God. He makes this bold statement that the evidence that our relationship with God is real is whether or not we love other people. And it's important to be clear off the bat that John is not saying that we get saved, that we are born of God, that we know God because we are loving, that we can love our way to a right relationship with God. No, no, we can't can't mix that up. 
We need to keep clear that we are saved. We know God and are born of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. There's no amount of loving good deeds that we can do to earn God's forgiveness and his favor. We are saved by grace alone. But the point is that where there is true faith, where there is true salvation, there will be evidence. And John says that evidence is that we love others. We can make it about so many other things We can try to make this faith about, you know, it's about doctrine, it's about theology. We can try to make it about attending church or attending events or doing this or that, knowing this or that. But this is why Paul is so jacked up when he's writing to the the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, you guys are arguing and you're chasing after all of these spiritual gifts. You know, who's going to be exalted, lifted up in the church? Who's the most gifted? Who has tongues? Who has prophecy? Who has healing? All these things. And he says, no. If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You can do all these things, but if you don't love others, man, you're just making noise. Love is central to it. And John's point here is that when we experience and know the love of God, we will love others. And I think sometimes we downplay this We don't think enough about the the gravity of the supernatural work that God does in our heart, in our life, when we come to him in true saving faith. This is not just a casual, okay, thanks God, you forgave my sins, good, I'll go to heaven one day and the rest of my life I'll just carry on my own business. This is a very real and powerful transformation. This is moving from death to life. This is moving from slavery to freedom. According to Romans 6, this is moving from wrath to mercy. This is God taking my stone heart, my cold, dead, lifeless heart, ripping it out and giving me a new heart that knows how to love. Ezekiel 36 says, I will remove your heart of stone. I will put a new heart and a new spirit within you. This is God breathing life, his life into my cold, lifeless heart. This is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, look, the new has come. To be born of God is to be made a new creation. We cannot say that we love and know God, yet fail to walk in love. John Calvin said this, Away with that foolish interpretation then about unformed faith. When anybody tries to separate faith from love, it's as if he attempted to take away heat from the sun. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Love will always follow. God did not just save you for you. He didn't just save you so you could go on your merry way. He saved you for a purpose, to send you out into the world on fire with his love. Love will always follow true knowledge of God. And why? John clarifies, he says at the end of verse eight, because God is love. God is love. This is not a statement so much about the the essence of God as it is about the nature of God. So it's not as if John is saying God is this giant cosmic ball of love, like in that, that Pixar movie, Inside Out, where you get the different fuzzy little emotions. You get anger and joy and whatever else. And then there's God. He's this ball of love. No, God is love 
in that he is perfectly loving in all that he does. It is his nature. It is core and essential to who he is. He has always been love. Love is who he is, and it flows. It pours out of him. He is the origin, and he is the source of love. That is why we cannot know what true and perfect love is apart from him. And we cannot help but love others when we are born of God, when his spirit, the God who is love, when his spirit lives and moves in us, we will love. When we are in right relationship with him, his, he empowers us to love the way that he loves. Children resemble their parents. I remember when I was about eight years old, and I can hear Andy saying, what, you're not eight years old now? When I was eight years old, my family was part of a soccer club, so we spent a lot of time there. My dad played soccer, and I was this little kid just walking around, and this man walks up, and he stops me, and I'd never seen him. I'd never met him before, no idea who he is. He stops me and goes, hey, you're Eric's son, aren't you? That's my dad. You're Eric's son. And I go, yeah? How did you know, creepy old man? And he goes, well, you walk exactly like your father. I'm like, do I know you? Have I met you? No, no, no. I play soccer with your dad. You walk exactly like him. Children resemble their parents. I had never thought about the way that I walk. I never thought about the way that my dad walks, but I'm born of him. I've spent hours and hours around him, with him, watching him, learning from him, spending time in his presence. And so naturally, without even thinking about it, I walk like him. Children resemble their parents. God, who is love, if his spirit lives in us, if we are born of him, we will walk in love. God's love is transformative. It changes us from the inside out. The second thing I want to point out is that God's love is active. Let's look at our passage. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love made manifest among us. He showed his love. He acted on his love. How easy is it to just say, I love you? How easy is it to talk about love? How easy is it to say we love this, we love that, we love this person, but to let it stop there, to let it stop at words and not overflow into real action? There is a time and a place for words of comfort and words of affection, but how easy is it to talk without action? I was once on a missions trip in South America and we were building houses and building wells out of bricks. And so we're, you know, it's heat of the day, close to the equator, sun's beaten down. We're all getting sick. That's just what happens on mission trips. But my buddy was, uh, was sick. He was throwing up, doing all that the night before. He's dehydrated. He's just destroyed, but he's champing it out. He's working in the sun. We're laying bricks down. We're building, but he's struggling. I'm looking at him. He's kind of like, he's about to tip over kind of thing. And man, he needs electrolytes. He needs water. He needs it bad. But we're not allowed to drink the tap water, right? Because it'll mess us up even worse. And I see in the distance, I see another guy on our team. He's walking towards us and he's got a bottle of water. He's got bottled fresh water and he's got a a packet of instant Gatorade and he's putting it in the water and he's mixing it up. I'm like, yes, here it comes, salvation. You're gonna be okay. And he walks over and he looks at my buddy and he puts his hand on him. He goes, man, you are struggling, aren't you? You're struggling. I love you, man. I love you. I'll be praying for you. And he walks away. He walks away, starts drinking his Gatorade himself. I'm like, man, what? I'm about ready to throw my brick at you. But I'm about to tip over too from heat stroke. You you love him? You say you love him? You have what he needs in your hand right now. And you just said, I love you. And you walked away. 
God's love was made manifest among us. God's love is not sentiment. It's not fluffy emotion. It's not just words. God's love is known by what it does. Look at 1 John 3.18. It says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. God doesn't just say he loves us and then push us out into the world and wish us luck. He says he loves us and he shows it. He moves. This is the God who pursues us, who chases us down in his love, who sees our need, our desperation, our hopelessness, our lostness, our brokenness in sin, and he moves toward us. If you are a Christian today, it is because God pursued you with his love. God sought you out. God didn't just leave you as you were. He loved you and he chased you down and he used the things in your life, used the people, the circumstances, the resources, everything to bring you to himself and bring you to faith in him. He chased you down. That's who he is. And maybe there are some people listening, watching this morning who, man, you've been part of the church a little bit. You've been tuning in here and there. You've been attending here and there, but you're still not sure about Christianity. You're still not sure about Jesus, what you believe, but you're feeling this pull in your heart that you need to think more about it and figure it out. Man, consider the fact that maybe God is chasing you down. Maybe he's pursuing you in his love because that's who he is. That's what he does. Maybe he's using the people in your life, maybe a family member, a friend who's brought you to church or asked you to tune into the live stream or whatever. Maybe he's using grief and tragedy and pain and heartbreak in your life because that's what he does. He uses the things in our life to get our attention. He moves toward us to make us aware that we need him to show us his love. He moves. God's love is active. And that's what we're celebrating at Advent, at Christmas. We are celebrating that God's love compelled him to take action and move toward us in the person of Jesus Christ. God's love is active. The next thing is that God's love is self-giving. God's love is self-giving. Let's look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. I think it's really easy for us to understand love that is actually at the end of the day, at the root of it, is transactional That's so much of the love that we see. That's the love that's portrayed in in film and music and TV and all these these stories and these things that we we watch. Man, a a good experiment for you. Uh, I started doing this when I was preparing a a wedding message for a buddy of mine. Just watch sitcom engagement and marriage scenes. Watch the vows and it'll show you something about what the world believes to be the deepest and most profound version of love. How I Met Your Mother is a perfect example of this. Marshall and Lily, two of the main characters, they're getting married. They're giving their vows to each other and they're saying they they dated nine years. They're finally getting married. It's this big thing, beautiful, yay. And they're saying why they love each other. And what do they say say to each other? They go, I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you're funny. You make me laugh. You make me feel loved. You make me feel safe. But most of all, I love you because you make me happy all the time. You make me happy. Watch Friends, watch Monica and Chandler, watch anything. Just do it, try it as an experiment. It's I love you because you do this for me. I love you because you make me happy. 
That is not the love of God. God's love is something completely different. God's love is a deliberate, selfless act of the will, a joyful resolve to put our good first at great cost to himself, not because we're lovable, not because we are good enough, not because we make him happy, not because we do this or that or we're good enough, because he loves us, a costly, sacrificial, self-giving love. Look at Romans 5, 7 to 8. It says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, still enemies of God, he didn't love us because we loved him. He loved us at great cost to himself when we were not lovable, when we hated God and wanted nothing to do with him. He died for us to bring us back to himself. And God's love is displayed in so many ways. It's displayed right from the beginning when he creates mankind and he creates us in this beautiful world. He gives us nature. He gives us trees and oceans and rivers and mountains and animals and all these wonderful things that we experience. He gives us senses. Have you thought about that? God created us with the ability to smell beautiful smells, to taste things. God didn't have to make food taste like anything but he gave us taste buds to enjoy food. He gives us a sense of touch. He gives us the ability to relate, to feel physical intimacy with other people, to experience all these beautiful things. This is the love of God for no other reason than that he loves us. His love is displayed in the person of Jesus who showed us what self-giving love is. Jesus didn't just hang out with the attractive people, the people who were lovable. He hung out with the down and outs, the hurting, the broken, the sick, And showed us that example. But the greatest example of God's love is verse 10. That he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It would have been one thing for Jesus to come and just teach us the way to live. It would have been another thing for Jesus to come and show us an example, a moral example of the way to live. But he didn't stop there because we needed more than good teaching. We needed more than moral guidance and an example to try and live up to. We needed saving. Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins. That means propitiation, big word. It means a change in disposition of somebody who is owed a debt. We owed a debt for our sin, for our rebellion against God. God, for him to be perfectly loving and perfectly righteous and just, he has to hate all that is not loving and all that is unjust and all that is not righteous, all that is sin. And all of us, every one of us sinned. We fell short of the glory of God. We chose to rebel against him. And so his anger, his wrath against sin falls on us because we are in sin. There's a debt that is owed. And Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. Our life is owed. But God, in his love, did not leave us in that state. He moved toward us. He sent his one and only son. Jesus gave his life. It's called the great exchange. He gave his life in place of ours on that cross. He paid the full debt for our sin to change the disposition of God. So now God, when he looks at us, if we believe and we are in Christ and we receive that grace and forgiveness, God no longer looks on us and sees our sin and our filthiness. He sees the righteousness and the purity of Jesus. 
Jesus' life in exchange for ours. Now God looks on us with love and sees the righteousness of Christ. He gave everything so that we might know him, that we might be able to walk in relationship with him at great cost to himself. That's the love of God. This is the love that grips the New Testament writers. Anytime they write about it, look at Romans 8. Look at Paul writing about this love. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have all that we need in Christ. The love of God, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nor famine, nakedness, sword, Persecution, trial, tribulation, nothing can separate us from his love. That kind of love, man, that transforms us, that changes us. If God saved me and all that I have belongs to him, if everything I need is in him, that frees me up to love others with self-giving love. If I have everything that I need in God, in Christ, and nothing can separate me from that love, I am free to give of my time, my money, my possessions. I'm free to give my life so that others might know him because he gave his life that I might know him. And that's why people can can give sacrificially. That's why they can give of their money. That's why they can move their family across the world to places that people have never heard the name of Jesus, to places where people are war-torn and broken and hurting and in desperate need of food and water. They can give their life to those things because nothing has a hold on them anymore. No earthly possession, no earthly pleasure, no comfort, We can give up ease. We can give up comfort and give of ourselves in a costly way, a sacrificial way that others might experience the love of God. No one has ever seen God. Verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us. That's how people see the love of God. When we give sacrificially of ourselves the way that God gave to us in order to love people, people get a glimpse of who God is in the love of God that he has. God's love is self-giving. Last thing is that God's love is complete. Look at verse 12, the latter half of it. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. That word perfected, John's going to use it a couple more times a bit later uh, in this chapter. Uh, The root of that word, uh, it means complete. It means finished. It means nothing can or should be added to it. And he uses, Jesus uses that same word for perfect, for complete. When he is hanging on the cross, when he gives his last breath, breathes his last and gives up his spirit. And he says, it is finished. It's that same word. It is finished. It is complete. Nothing can be added to it. God's love is perfect and it is displayed perfectly by Jesus on the cross, propitiation, the great exchange, his life 
for ours. Why is it perfect? Because nothing can be added to it. Everything that we need is in God. And what Jesus did on that cross is that he made a way for us to be one with God. He made a way back to God. He paid the debt that we owe, our sin, our guilt, our shame completely wiped out. It is finished. The debt completely paid. And all that we need is found in God, the perfect love that our hearts desire, the the perfect love that our hearts are just longing and pining for, it is in relationship with the God who is love. We cannot find it anywhere else, and Jesus made a way for us to experience that love. And so much of what we look for elsewhere in the world, trying to find love, is found in God. Man, we look in other places, we look to relationships and, and all these other kinds of love for security, God says, you're secure in me. I've got you. I'm holding you forever. Nothing in the world, present or future, can separate you from my love. We look for acceptance. God says, you are sinful. You're broken, but come to me as you are. I will make you whole. I will make you complete. I love you. And we're looking for identity. We look for identity so much in love relationships with people. God says, let me tell you who you are. You are a beloved child I love you. I will take you in. I will give you everything that you need. I will never leave you or forsake you. You're a beloved child of God. God's love is complete. And we can try to make this life, we can try to make faith, we can try to make our Christianity about so many other things. But man, I just hope that this Advent, this Christmas, we can see a little bit clearer how much God loves us. Can we come back to that? Can we just dwell on that? Can we be blown away by just how much God loves us? Karl Barth was, was one of the greatest, most intelligent, most well-read, well-studied, well-published theologians of the last couple hundred years. He, he published articles and books and wrote commentaries and did all these things. And he was once asked uh, in a Q&A, if you could sum up in one sentence the most important thing from all of your publications, from all of what you've learned, from all of what you've taught, your whole theology, sum it up in one sentence. And his answer was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The most important thing. God is inviting us this Christmas to see and to know and to experience how much he loves us. Have you experienced that love? Are you walking in that love? Is it time in this season to think about if you have not opened up your heart to that love? Have you considered that God's love is pursuing you, that he loves you, that he wants to make you whole, that he wants to give you all that you need in him through the Son? And in this time, this weird, strange time, man, there's so much hurt, there's so much brokenness, there's so much weirdness in the world, but there's so much opportunity who around you, who in your life, who in your circles, in your world needs to experience this love? Who do you need to move toward? How can you show love that's not just word, but it's deed, it's action? How can you show love to the people around you that is self-giving, that's sacrificial, that's not just love to get something back? I can promise you that there are people around you who need to experience the love of God, the love of God that is found 
only through a relationship with him through Jesus Christ and receiving his grace. That's the gift of Christmas, and I hope that we can see that and experience that more clearly this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. How can we ever thank you enough that you love us, not just in word, but you love us with action. Lord, that your love was made manifest among us, that you sought us out, you saw us in our desperate need for love, our desperate need for life, and you moved toward us. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas, over the next few weeks, we can just see a little bit more clearly how much you love us and truly experience that love, Lord, and and be transformed by it. Send us out into the world. Show us who we need to move toward, who we need to love. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.